With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to another Buckeye Retalkables on Cleveland.com. It's the Buckeye Talk podcast, but it's the special thing we do where we look back into the past and we are going back all the way back for like six years. It's like six years. It actually feels pretty recent. It's Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. And this book, I Retalkables, is one we had to do at some point. It's Ohio State, Alabama in the college football playoff national semifinal. The first year of the college football playoff in 2014 in the Sugar Bowl. Everybody thought Ohio State was going to lose. And spoiler alert, Ohio State won. It is a fantastic game. It is filled with fantastic talent. I'm not going to get too much. I can't. Do you guys think there's anybody out here? Do you think we have a single listener to this right now, guys, who are like, oh, Ohio State, Alabama in 2014? Huh. Yeah, I don't know much about that one. We're kind of, so this is, this is not exactly Ohio State, Michigan, 1968, right, Nathan? I mean, I assume there's someone listening to this podcast who could have been, who could be like 17, 18 right now, and maybe you were only 11 or 12 then, and you weren't hugely invested. So I suppose there's some people out there who, who weren't in the moment of how huge this game was. But I think, yes, for, for most people, I think this is one of the seminal games of their Ohio State fandom. There, there are things here that are, I mean, this, this is the kind of game because there's a, there is a lot of good historic context. Ohio State was number four. They, it was the first year of the college football playoff and the four-team playoff. If this had happened any time in the previous history of college football, literally any other year in college football history, Ohio State would not have won the national title. Because never before had a team who was the fourth best team in the country at the end of the year had any chance to win a national title. It never happened before. So that's huge. They get in the playoff. JT Barrett is hurt. Cardale Jones takes over. They beat Wisconsin 59-0 in the Big Ten Championship game. They jump up. They get in over TCU and Baylor. And who's waiting for them? The number one seed, the dominant team of this era, the Alabama Crimson Tide, who was coached by Nick Saban, who happens to be Urban Meyer's old, Urban Meyer's old rival from when those two school, those two guys went head-to-head in the SEC when Urban was at Florida. So you guys get it. We're going to get into our categories here as we work, work through everything in the Retalkables category by category. If you've missed any in the past, make sure you go back. 
We did Ohio State, uh, Virginia Tech, 2015, which is pretty much right after this. This is only that's two games after this because it's the opener of the next season. This is the next to last game of this season. We've done the Rose Bowl from the 2009 season, the 2010 Rose Bowl, the Trestle team against Oregon. We did um, the 2017 Ohio State Penn State game and the JT Barrett comeback. We did the 1968 Michigan game last week, and now we're doing this. Again, I covered this. Steven, what, what's your memory in the moment of this game? Did you watch this game? What did you think of this team? Were you surprised by the result? Go back to six years ago, Steven Means. Yeah, I remember watching this game on New Year's Day. I remember sitting upstairs watching it with my dad while my brother, who's like the most avid Ohio State fan in the world, sat in the basement because he didn't want to be bothered by all of our pessimism and yelled and screamed at the TV all night. Yeah, I remember, I remember this game vividly. I remember this entire run vividly because I just didn't think – I didn't think they were going to beat Wisconsin. I for sure didn't think they were going to beat Alabama just like everybody else in the world. But then – I mean, yes, I thought they'd beat Oregon, but I didn't think they'd get to the national championship. Game. But, yes, I remember this game vividly. That was also my thing. I picked them to lose to Wisconsin. I picked them to lose to Alabama. And then by the time we got to Ohio State-Oregon in the national championship game, I recused myself. And I refused to make a pick because I kind of thought Ohio State was going to win. If you had made me make a pick, I would have picked Ohio State. But I said, I don't deserve to pick Ohio State to win the national championship. After I picked them to lose to Wisconsin, a team they beat 59 nothing, and I picked them to lose to Alabama. And now I'm going to be like, aha, I think the Buckeyes are going to win it all. So I just, I remember I stood on the streets and said, I, I'm not doing it. I cannot do it. Nathan, you're doing other things. You're covering other things back then. Did you watch this? I mean, this was a big, you know, it's a college football semifinal, but, you know, you might have had a, a new barbecue joint in West Lafayette to check out that night. What's your memory of this? I actually went back and checked the schedule of the team I was covering at the time, and they did not have something on December 1st, which was um, – January 1st. Or January 1st, which is – yeah, yeah, January 1st, which is, which is a fairly common occurrence back then. So, um, I mean, it's possible – it's possible that I watched it. I, I kind of, I vaguely remember watching it, but I, I've, as, as there, there's something different about watching something as just a casual disinterested fan at the time, as opposed to being a fan or having to watch it professionally. Um, I, I don't retain a lot from it. I, I, there's like snippets of this game that I'm sure that had very much a deja vu feeling, but I, I, I don't vividly remember watching it. So I'm going to be curious to see, I think that's, again, that's one of the fun things about this is that, a lot of times when people do rewatchable shows, you know, the Big Ten Network's doing stuff, whatever, they get people who played in the game or whatever. But I, I think it's fun to have, you know, have you guys involved that you didn't cover it. You saw it in a different way. But now you are covering this program professionally and digging into every little nook and cranny. And then you can go back and reevaluate, sort of reevaluate something for the first time, which I think is interesting. So we're going to dive right in now to our categories for Buckeye Retalkables. Again, if you want to you know, sort of partake of the whole cleveland.com experience. We do these podcasts, we write the stories, we do a tech subscription. We continue to have people join our tech subscription service. We'd like you to join. 614-350-3315. You send a text there, you get a 14-day free trial. We have an online book reliving the 2019 season, not this one. Somebody else wrote a book on this season. Reliving the 2019 season, it's going out only to tech subscribers right now, so it's a great time to get in. Just send a text to 614-350-3315, and you get something back, a link on how to sign up. 14 days, see what you think. Here we go on Buckeye Retalkables. Who owned this game? 
Again, Ohio State won this game, 42-35. I have some stats about draft picks and that kind of thing, the level of talent. I counted up how many guys on each roster wound up getting drafted into the NFL that I want to get into that I think shows both the, the how much talent there was on both sides and how even, how actually even it was. But, Stephen, we'll start with you. Who do you think owned this Buckeye Retalkables game? Ezekiel Elliott. He owned Ohio State's postseason, as a matter of fact. But in this game, 230 yards, two touchdowns, and, I mean, the most memorable run maybe of the past decade for Ohio State football fans. I mean, it's clearly – it was Zeke in the Wisconsin game, Zeke in this game, Zeke in the Oregon game. He owned this, all of it. Just, I mean, come on. It's not even close. Nathan, did you feel the same feelings in your heart and soul about – one Ezekiel Elliott, or did you go a different way? Well, I don't often, as people who listen to this podcast know, um, go to my heart and soul for answers to anything about this because they are they are they are black and cold. But um, so I, I mean, obviously Ezekiel Elliott was the dominant player of this game. I'm gonna, I am though, I am gonna go a little bit more of like a sentimental abstract because I don't even know if this even fits. I think we have some loose rules here. Um, we've always talked about players owning this game or maybe a coach. I think who owns this game is Ohio State fandom owns this game. It didn't necessarily – wasn't the reason they won this game, but that's who has this game now. I mean, this game – the reason this game was important, and I'm glad that we did it, was because it sets the stage for everything I do on a daily basis with this job now, I feel like, in a lot of ways. This was a big corner turn for this program. Yes, they had won national champion, a national championship and then not that distant – passed before this yes they were already a historic program in college football history but after this game they get to stand up and the entirety of Ohio State fandom across the country gets to stand up and say definitively we are just we are not just as good as that program we are better than that program we were better that night we're gonna we can go on and win a national championship now and then obviously they do shortly after this I mean it's it is the almost the peak of Ohio State fandom to say that you've climbed that mountain not only are you winning a national championship, you had to knock off the clear number one undisputed um, standard for the sport to, to get there. I, I feel like, you know, this th- this game wasn't won by the Ohio State fan- fans. It was won by Ezekiel Elliott. It was won by um, any number of other players that we're going to talk about in this game and, and Urban Meyer. But then they collectively gave it to the – I feel like they gave something to Ohio State fandom that day, and that's why Ohio State fandom owns this game now. That sort of this game sort of birthed like the was this the game, Stephen? The Ohio against the world shirt. The guy was in the crowd, I think, in this game. No, no, no. Uh, that was Wisconsin, um, where they show the. I think that was okay. Wisconsin game. But that's there, sort there of was whole, someone in the crowd that had that shirt in. They had that shirt on it though. But the first time I think we saw it was the Wisconsin game. This sort of season, this run. I mean, that they lost early. They were playing a young quarterback who was hurt, and they were sort of, you know, Reese Davis had the the famous saying during the college football playoff discussion that the Virginia Tech loss was an albatross around their neck. You thought no matter what they did, you couldn't get in. It was our first year analyzing everything through the college football playoff lens. Every time anybody now says, hey, a team's out. Hey, they lost early. They're out. Oh, this Ohio State team is the team you point to because everybody thought they were dead one week, two weeks into the season, and then they weren't. And I think the, the point of this, and I, you know, this is, this is the kind of thing you would write in, in the tale of a, not a hero, it's not a hero, but of a protagonist in a, in a fictional piece of fiction. 
this bookends, this closes the chapter that opens, not the chapter of the book, this closes the book that starts with Urban Meyer and Florida beating Ohio State in the 2006 Big Ten mm-hmm. not, National Championship game. Ohio State and Michigan played a one versus two game to end the 2006 season, back when only two teams made the playoff. The Big Ten was so dominant then, and it was so uncertain. USC had lost. Should it be Florida? Some people thought the national championship game should be a rematch of Ohio State-Michigan, which is hard to wrap your head around now. What? The two best teams in the country might both be in the Big Ten? That's what people thought. Urban Meyer came in as an underdog with Florida, destroyed Ohio State, in Glendale, Arizona, and launched the dominant run of the SEC that continues to this day. Nick Saban didn't launch it. Urban Meyer launched it, and then Nick Saban grabbed it and took it farther. But Urban Meyer was the, was, ran the first leg, and then Nick Saban, as it turned out, ran legs two, three, and four and finished the, finished the race, threw down his baton, and then went over and started shot-putting with a grimace on his face because – Winning the race wasn't good enough. But Ur- Florida started it. And how would Ohio State ever get back? How would they ever raise up again to that level? Because they lost in 06. They lost in the national championship game to the SEC again in 07. They, they were losing bowl games. Then Urban Meyer gets here and he, he uplifts the recruiting. But how are they? They were ahead of the SEC. The SEC stormed to the front of college football. And how would that ever change? And who could change it? The guy who started it, he now changes sides. And now instead of Urban Meyer starts the SEC renaissance and hands it off to Nick Saban, now Urban Meyer's fighting the SEC and fighting Nick Saban at his home state school that he grew up loving. I mean, that and now he rallies this fan base and lifts this fan base to new heights. I think it's a great choice, Nathan, because there's a lot of there's a lot of that going on in here. This is what Urban came back to do. You know, there's a lot going on in here. I said Elliot though. <laughs> so this <laughs> I thought you were maybe gonna say Meyer after all no, that. Because I actually have there's some things I want to talk about with the coaching and the way this game was played and players versus team and sort of talent versus execution and some things like that 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 actually would point me away from Urban Meyer in this specific game. Mm -hmm. To emphasize Ezekiel Elliott, Ezekiel Elliott carried the ball, as as Stephen said, 20 times for 230 yards. Uh, That was 11.5 yards per play when Ezekiel Elliott ran the ball. They ran 58 other plays, so they ran 78 plays total in this game. They ran 58 other plays when Ezekiel Elliott wasn't running the ball, and they gained 5.3 yards per carry. Now, that 85-yard run at the end sure helped, but he was 19 for 145 before mm-hmm. that run. I was just doing the math. 7.6 yeah. yards to carry. That's yeah, most, of that came, on your math. <laughs> most of that came in the first half when they were religiously giving him the ball. And like this, we all remember the sideline hurdle, right, where he yeah. ran down and, and, and almost scored on that. I felt like in rewatching this, and we have a, a category coming up soon, and maybe, maybe I didn't rewatch it closely enough, but we have slob moment of the game coming up soon. I had a hard time finding a slob moment of the game because I felt like Ezekiel Elliott got these yards by himself. I did not feel Mm -hmm. like necessarily that there were gigantic lanes being blown open by a dominant Ohio State offensive line that featured future first-round pick Taylor Decker, future first-round pick Billy Price, who's a redshirt freshman here. He's going to be in college three more years. Future third-round pick Pat Elfline. This is a good line. 
But I feel like, and again, this is one of those things. Every now and then, one of the, re, you know, it's good to try to, why do you look back? Because you learn about the present and the future. It's good on this day that Ohio State's running backs weren't Trey Sermon and Master Teague. So now, Justin Fields is also better than the quarterback Ohio State had in this game, which we'll talk about as well. But I'm just saying, this is what a back who can do things on his own. And it's just funny. I've told this story many times. It's not my story, but this was the year of the Big Ten running back. It was like, it was Melvin Gordon at Wisconsin and uh, Amir Abdallah, I think was his name at Nebraska and David Cobb at Minnesota. And kind of all these sort of like good, like good, solid Big Ten running backs. The guy at Michigan State, I can't remember his name. And in the middle of the year, I very vividly remember Urban Meyer being asked about in the middle of this actual season, hey, what do you think of all the good running backs in the Big Ten? And it was like these other five running backs. And he was like, well, I think our guy's pretty good too. And it was like, okay, Urban, can you just give some love to David Cobb and not have to throw your guy into the midst of that? Because clearly Ezekiel Elliott is no David Cobb. Like that's where we were in like week five of this season. That like, hey, the Big Ten has six great running backs and also Ezekiel Elliott. Maybe he's seventh. And by the end of the year, Ezekiel Elliott looked like the best player in college football. Unbelievable what he did, Stephen, as to your point, not just in this game, but down the stretch. And in this game, like flip on a Dallas Cowboys game and flip on this game, it's the same, same Zeke. This is that some running backs, I think, have too much patience in the hole sometimes. Some running backs go barreling into a hole and just slam into a wall. Zeke, I think, has is right in the middle. He's always in control, but he always has a burst. He has the speed. He never goes down on the first hit. He is an absolutely complete dominating running back. And I think if they have a pretty good running back in this game, instead of a great running back reaching the peak of his powers, they lose. That they needed a Zeke, they needed a running back who was not pretty good. If they have David Cobb, now I'm going to end up ripping David Cobb. That's not what I mean. But if they have like a good, solid Big Ten running back, they lose because they have Ezekiel Elliott, who is emerging as a guy who's going to be the fourth pick in the draft eventually. He gives them the chance to win. I think he's that good in this game. He ran through the three Heisman finalists in a row. Just. Knocked him out, and I just just going back on the Wisconsin game too. I mean, the story coming to that game was Melvin Gordon, not Ezekiel Elliott. It right. was Melvin Gordon going up against Ohio State's third string quarterback, and then Alabama's you know just love this loads of running backs. Derrick Henry's not even the starting running back in this game, and I'm pretty sure the announcer at one point because um, T.J. Yeldon hadn't played a snap yet, and they're like. They need Yeldon out there because Derrick Henry's okay, but he's just serviceable right now, which is ironic given the fact that he's the Heisman Trophy winner the very next year. But Ezekiel Elliott is clearly, of all the running backs he played in this stretch, it's head and shoulders, him, the entire time. And, it's, and I'm glad you brought up the block, him, how he, he's patient through the hole. A lot, I, a lot of those big runs, he doesn't necessarily need the line to do much. He just needs that one major block that's coming out of nowhere which is usually Evan Spencer, which is exactly what happened on that play. As soon as Evan Spencer hit his, his block, Zeke was out. It had nothing to do with what the rest of the line was doing. And I, I'm okay saying this. I'm not sure if J.K. Dobbins is their running back they win. I was, yeah, no. Because he probably – I mean, J.K. got hawked, hawked down sometimes. I mean, J.K. is awesome. J.K. Yeah. is awesome. But Ezekiel but, Elliott, in this game especially, is next level. And they needed him yeah. to be next level. 
All right, JT Barrett, underappreciated player of the game. Again, our tech subscribers helped us come up with all these categories. It's a guy on either side of the ball that made an impact but wasn't a star, Nathan. And again, JT Barrett on the sideline with his leg on a scooter. He's technically eligible for this award that's named for him, even though he didn't play. The JT Barrett, underappreciated player of the game. I guess that would make him underappreciated because there's nothing to appreciate about True. just being on the sideline with a scooter. Um, Steven just mentioned him. I picked Evan Spencer. I mean, the, the, would I mean, take your pick. I mean, any, any one of like several things in this game. I mean, he mentioned the block um, spoiler alert. I was going to bring that up soon again in a different category, but you know, the end around TD pass uh, going up high, the, the high jump to get the onside kick late in the game um, for out Al that Alabama was attempting. I mean, uh, I, obviously Ohio State doesn't win this game without Ezekiel Elliott, but you can also argue they don't win this game without all of these little contributions that Evan Spencer made. Those aren't even little contributions. Those are all huge plays. The best pass in this game on either side of the ball was thrown by Evan Spencer. And, yeah. and I think I mean, I mean that like in technical form, like in spiral, in placement. Listen, going back and rewatching Cardale's throwing motion here is like, okay. I'm a little like, and again, I'm not here to slander Cardale Jones, but that guy is just like picking it up and chucking it 80 yards. And Blake Sims is not a quarterback. No offense to Blake Sims. Evan Spencer, the throw to Michael Thomas, and of course we'll get into that more, is tremendous. And I will say, I always thought, Evan Spencer I think was a sixth round pick eventually in the NFL draft. Evan Spencer to me was always like kind of sneaky athletic. And like he, he wasn't, he did a lot. He, we, all we did was talk about Evan Spencer's blocking his whole career. So the fact that he blocked two guys on the run that sealed the win was appropriate because all we ever talked about was his blocking. Terry McLaurin, to me, is turbo Evan Spencer. Yeah. And every time the way Terry handled himself, the way Terry was like, man, this guy's really good, but yet often his numbers weren't huge. You know, neither Evan Spencer nor – Terry McLaurin was Michael Thomas, you know, and it's like, I think they're good. I can't tell how good they're going to be. And then Evan like didn't make it in the NFL and Terry did make it in the NFL. And I think it's because Terry's a click or two faster on his 40 time, but they're just that like consummate dude, just excellent guy. And like, when you need them, they do the stuff that wins you games, even if it's not always catching a pass so you mentioned Nathan three things that Evan Spencer did three huge plays Evan Spencer made to win this game for Ohio State none of those three things are catching a pass it's throwing a pass fielding an onside kick and making a block and like that's Evan Spencer and I always thought of them and I think my thinking of Terry and Evan the same way threw me off a little bit on Terry and then Terry wound up being much better in the NFL than I expected but I think anything you want to throw Nathan at Evan Spencer and this kind of thing is is exactly right because he's kind of a special player this way. And again, back then, Urban Meyer would say things like, Evan Spencer's our MVP. And it's like, okay, you have Joey Bosa and this. But like, Urban Meyer loves guys like this. And Evan Spencer showed up in this game. Stephen, who you got? And first, one of the, only one of those three things shows up in a basic box score, and it's the pass. Everything else is, you know, you got to look a little deeper for it. I went with Darren Lee just because, for one, you just heard his name so often. And I, I don't re I, I knew he was good at Ohio State. I know I know he was great on this run, but you didn't real I didn't realize just how good he was until I'm in a situation like this where I'm maybe focusing on it a little bit more. Uh, seven tackles, three TFLs, and two sacks. I mean, he was clearly Ohio State's best defensive player in this game. I just think, but with a lot of the story, what, what Zeke was doing on offense, 
the fact that the biggest conversation was a third string quarterback, you don't realize a lot of what these defensive players are doing. And so you go back and look at the box score and then you look at some of these snaps that these guys had. So, I mean, this, the box score stats are not underrated, but just when you hear how often these announcers were saying his name and how often he was making plays, it's a little underappreciated. When I watch these games, I'm going through and I'm just making notes, kind of like free association, just like as the thoughts come into my head. And mm-hmm. there's the, the, I have in my notes, Darren Lee, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I think <laughs> it was right after one of those sacks, one where he just kind of comes storming in um, at, at a huge moment. So, yeah, I thought he was tremendous. I will say this is uh, – I didn't do a ton of backwards research on this. This is a story that I wrote, I think, that actually posted the morning of the game as like the game preview. Ohio State linebacker Darren Lee, cocky, question mark. He might be just what the Buckeyes need against number one Alabama. Um, he was cocky. He was uh, a particular kind of guy with his C- speed and size combo. And he was exactly what they needed in this game. I love Darren Lee. And I was surprised Darren Lee didn't make it better in the NFL because I thought he was an NFL linebacker. I thought he's like, he's that guy in, in space. Did you guys, and I didn't exactly know where to get to this. I can't remember if I put it in a category or not. He's over slot receivers practically the whole game. There is not a third corner in this game ever. On third down, every now and then, Armani Reeves comes in as a, in like a true nickel look. Most of the time, and Amari Cooper, the best receiver in the country, is in the slot some portion of the time. And the way that they line up on him is Darren Lee as an outside linebacker over Amari Cooper with like Von Bell behind him. And now they're not playing straight man-to-man on that most of the time. But it is a, it is a jarring difference from what Ohio State does now and like they would never do this now and this is like the whole thing we're getting into like but like think about Darren Lee's responsibilities in this game he's lining up outside he's not in the box a lot of the time a lot of time it's like if there's a third receiver and Darren Lee's out there because Duran Grant and Eli Apple are in the game at corner Tyvis Powell and Vaughn Bell are in the game at safety every snap they're, they're, and they practically have three linebackers every snap. It's either Curtis Grant or Raquan McMillan in the middle, and then Josh Perry and Darren Lee at outside linebacker. But Darren Lee is out on the edge, getting ready to help cover a slot receiver. He's tracking down running backs. He's blitzing at times. He's like He is doing a lot of different things, and he's a dominant dude. He is a dominant dude in this game. I love Darren Lee. Poor man's <laughs> Isaiah Simmons. What does it say? I mean, does, does, it, does it show – could you see Baron Browning having that sort of impact with this year's team not in this defense not in this defense i don't think because they're not going to have him cover they're not going to have him cover guys that way right i mean i guess on first and second down it's like can i mean but but and again he's he's strong side sam linebacker josh perry is the will weak side linebacker Mm -hmm. and the perry's a little more freed up to make tackles and perry has a huge tackle at the goal line at one point here um but lee has like a responsibility on every play it's like cover this guy get the back you know maybe deal with this tight end if he does this blitz on this thing I guess actually in my head this is what I envision even though yes it's Baron Browning at Sam I think Baron Browning as we covered a million times would be better at will let him but that's out there but I think their scheme has changed enough that the responsibilities might be just enough different that what Darren Lee here is here is harder to replicate for a guy but he's great for underappreciated I went with Jalen Marshall because I think when you think about the receivers in this game, Michael Thomas is Michael Thomas. Awesome. Devin Smith is one of the best deep threats in Ohio State recent history. Awesome. Evan Spencer is Evan Spencer, just what we talked about. And oh, by the way, there's a fourth receiver. 
And they use Jalen Marshall a lot. Jalen Marshall has five receptions in this game for 55 yards. He's their punt returner. He's a guy who did go pro early, which was a little unexpected, and then like didn't make it in the NFL. But I always thought, I often think in my head that the Thomas Smith-Spencer combo is like the ideal receiver combo. You have like the consummate pro, great hands, do everything guy in Michael Thomas. You have the awesome deep threat in, in Devin Smith. And then you have a guy in Evan Spencer who can help you win without needing the ball that much. And I sometimes forget about Jalen Marshall. Jalen Marshall's a weapon. They use Jalen Marshall. They, they like get him the ball in this game. In an offense that features Ezekiel Elliott, Devin Smith, and Michael Thomas, they are getting Jalen Marshall touches. And he has a huge third down catch over the middle at one point. So he's a guy, you'll bring him on a jet sweep, and they do a lot of jet sweep action with him. He's a, he's a speedster, former quarterback in high school. They do some of that little in-space stuff and try to get him on the edge, but he'll run down the middle of the field and catch a ball. He gets clocked on a huge third-down conversion at one point, on like a third and 10 for like a 25-yard conversion. He takes a hit and hangs on, and if he drops that ball, it's a huge, a huge swing in the game. So I wanted to nod that I mean, you think about, we're talking about how all the talent, all the possibilities, like with this Ohio State receiver room in 2020. I mean, that foursome that year, boy, they, they ran the gamut. They, between the four of them, they did everything that you would want a receiver to do. And, and the Jalen Marshall often is a little bit forgotten there. I wanted to, to mention him because I thought he was great. One of the most important plays he made in the game was just catching that punt. Which punt? Um, uh, I think it was. I think it was fourth quarter in one of the many punts that got punted deep into um, Ohio State territory, and it's kind of a hard one to catch. I mean, it's kind of behind him a little bit, and he has to reach back and get it. But if that tips off his fingers, and it's a live ball behind him, and I, there's a lot of Alabama um, got, uh, gunners around him, that could have swung momentum. So that I mean, that's just it's a small play because he cut, catches the ball, so you don't think about it, but just if he times that jump a little you know, shorter, a little earlier, maybe it tips off of his hands and Alabama scores a touchdown there. But fun fact, he's the first five-star wide receiver since 2003. Oh, yeah, huge recruit. Huge yeah. recruit when they got him. I'm not going to give the guy too much credit for catching a punt. But he reminds me, when I, we talk about like Garrett Wilson, like Garrett Wilson makes you a little nervous back there. But if yeah. he catches it, he might do something with it. That's what Jalen was like, that, that Jalen – Jalen's the last guy to run a punt back for a touchdown at Ohio State. And Jalen, Jalen could win a game. He did. I think he had a game, right? He had a game where he had two punt returns for a touchdown, I think, or two returns for a touchdown at some point in his career. Jalen could win you a game on special teams. But a lot of times when the ball was in the air, you were like, please catch it. So I, sometimes I like punt returners like that, you know? So, so Jalen was really a dynamic guy, and I feel he just, like, didn't quite fit, like, for the NFL. He just didn't quite fit. Really dynamic player, though. Slob moment. I had trouble. Offensive lineman or linemen. Best moment of overall observation. Nathan, how did you, how did you slob it up for this one? Well, well last week I, I asked permission, like, can I do a fullback instead of a, a, uh, a lineman? An, an, a a lineman. And I think we allowed that. So, or maybe it's two weeks ago. I did that. Um, I, I would give it to Evan Spencer. I mean, mm-hmm. for the block on the Ezekiel Elliott 85 yard touchdown run. I mean, he comes in and just floors and, and makes a huge, huge hole. Um, I think I think Elliot maybe makes a huge run on that play anyway, but I mean it, that w- that was a slob moment by every definition except the fact the guy weighs half as much as the usual slobs that we pick for this. And again, he takes out two guys with that kind of 
down block and there was something in there that like it got a little screwed up it wasn't exactly the perfect execution of the play and then evan spencer was like okay i'll just block two guys and it was like in the moment he made a play i will actually say my slob moment is also on that play because evan spencer takes out two guys and then billy price leads through the hole and takes out the last guy Mm -hmm. That Billy Price, and he only pulls, a lot of times we see the opposite guard pull and lead. So this is a run left, and Billy Price pulls from left guard. And he's almost like working his way down the line like somebody who's in a dark room and is like feeling the wall to feel where they are in the room. He's like working his way down the line. It's like his hands are out. He's like waiting, 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 looking for someone to block. And then he gets outside, gets to the hole, and he gets through the hole first, and the safety is coming down. And once Evan Spencer, once Zeke's on the edge and Evan Spencer takes out two guys and seals sort of the inside, the only guy left is the deep safety. And Billy Price comes through the hole and wipes out the deep safety and that's it. So that stood out to me again, because I'm not trying to like, this is a great line and they beat Alabama. They just, I mean, again, it's like, oh, well, they didn't like move aside Jonathan Allen and Ashawn Robinson. They didn't dominate those guys. It's like this Alabama defensive line is filled with high draft picks. Um, but that was one where I thought, yeah, you could see a lineman really do something. Steven, what you got? Yeah, that combination was mine just because all Zeke had to do once he got through the hole was run straight. I mean, find, find your hole and run straight. That's all he had to do. So you have to give the line a little bit of credit, especially those two guys for that. It's, in most situations, he probably has to make a move, one last move on the safety because that's just how most run plays are designed where you have to make one move on the guy on the, on the, on the second level. He didn't have to do any of that. He was just patient, burst through the hole, had to have been ran straight for 85 yards. So those, yeah, that combination was mine just because you almost wish <laughs> you could see what this offensive line would look like with a J.K. Dobbins just so, just so you could find out how good the offensive line actually was in this game because you're right. When you have a top five draft pick that you're blocking for, he can make you look better than you are. Just like I think last year that line was so good. J.K. Dobbins was great last year that offensive line opened up a lot of holes for him. And so it had been interesting to see if, you know, they, if, you know, they just, they had, they had a worse running back or a better running back. If we were still looking at the same thing. Hey, I yes. only had time to watch the, the cut up. So I'm going to ask a dumb question there because there may be other, even Ohio state fans who don't know the answer to this. Um, did the 85 yards through the heart of the South did that come from the broadcast? I don't think so. I don't think he ever said it. Where did that where, like where did that uh, phrase come from? I don't know if Eleven Warriors came up with it. They made a T-shirt with it. I, I okay. don't know who said it. I, I thought maybe it was something that somebody. I thought it was a quote that someone had said. You think it was me? You think maybe? No, I, was I like, assumed it wasn't you. I thought it was maybe somebody writer? on the broadcast. A, yeah, Eleven Warriors made a T-shirt, and there, there's some okay. some guy on YouTube just named that play that. That's you know okay. who I? You know who I think actually? Now that I think about it. I might have been uh, Stetson Barrett's grandfather. Oh, Zeke and I just ran 85 yards through the heart of the South. I haven't seen a man run through the South like that since General Sherman. But um, it seems like something that an announcer would, a really good announcer might say to me. You could hear, you know, Keith Jackson, like 85 yards through the heart of the South. Yeah, something that's like, true. Maybe we should make it. A, we can make it a T-shirt six years later. Let's try. Hey, guys, just for branding and marketing, can we come up with some slogans and stuff from games? Like if they uh, when if they beat Rutgers like uh, seventy eight to three this year, and like if uh, let's say that like Jamison Williams has like a sixty one yard touchdown catch, sixty one yards through the heart of the swamp, be like seventy eight points and no one in New Jersey cares. Yeah, just I mean just for branding, 
I think somewhere us. we have to use the fact that this is the birth of college football just to be ironic. Yeah. Uh, Rutgers birthed college football, and then Ohio State killed it by beating Rutgers 96-2. to two. Mm, Catchy. <laughs> Fits right on the shirt. You have to wrap it around to the back. <laughs> yeah. And then what did they do? <laughs> extra, extra large. It's yeah. like, wait, there's more on the back. <laughs> the Malik Hooker, where did he come from award? Again, texter category. It's a guy who kind of makes a play out of nowhere and makes a difference in the game for a moment. Not like a dominating thing, more like a flash. So I have a guy who flashed three times. Yeah. And it's Corey Smith. Same guy, yep. So I just talked about, hey, think about these four receivers they had. Their fifth receiver was Corey Smith, who was a special teams maniac in this game. He made he had three tackles, like solo tackles, first guy down the field makes a tackle by himself on a kick return. He had one, he just like it was like a normal kick, and he tackled the return man like at the 10-yard line. And it was just like everything else about it was just like a normal kick. And it's like, well, normal kicks, you usually get to at least like the 18 before anybody bothers you. And Corey Smith was just around the guy's ankles at the 10. And I have no idea how he did it. They threw him a deep ball later in the game that he didn't catch. And Corey Smith, again, is like one of the, you know, he, there was a time Corey Smith and Michael Thomas redshirted the same year, I think. Is that right? I think that's right. Cause Corey Smith was a junior college guy. And, uh, and it was sort of like, Hey, they have these two guys, Michael Thomas and Corey Smith. And Hey, they both have great potential and Hey, but they both kind of need to get their stuff together. And he didn't know exactly what was going to happen with either of them. And, and then this is what happens. Michael Thomas becomes the highest paid receiver in the NFL and Corey Smith kind of vanishes. Um, but here we are talking about, and this is why Urban Meyer, I mean, Urban Meyer will never, never stop talking about special teams. Here's a guy who's like the fifth receiver, but he's making a difference in a college football playoff semifinal because he is so darn good and explosive and determined on kick coverage, and it matters. It was, it's, it's the, to, that he, to do it once, you would have noticed. He did it three times. Amazing. And Steven, you, that's exactly what you saw too. Yeah, because after the, the second time he did it, it's hard to do it because it's television and you're not there live and you can't just watch who you want to watch. I tried to, like, follow his path to see how the heck he keeps getting there. So it's hard to keep up with it, though, because the ball – obviously the camera's following the ball, so you don't really get to see him. You see the kickoff, but then you lose him for a little bit. But, yeah, he had – there were a lot of big hits on special teams because Alabama had a few in the first quarter as well. I think Ruben Foster had one just – yeah, a lot of where he – Special teams is dangerous. Kick returns and punt returns are dangerous, man. Well, here's the thing in a game like this, when you have a, a depth and breadth of talent that's this this much, yeah. your backups are so good. It's like your backups are four stars who are playing special teams. Because that's, mm-hmm. who, I mean, who's your special teams? Your special teams guys are your backup linebackers, your backup receivers, your backup safeties. So this is, their, this is how high the talent level is at places like Ohio State and Alabama. It's like, no wonder their special teams are good. Because the guys flying down the field are these great, fast, strong athletes who are determined to contribute on special teams to try to get on the field in other ways. So they really care. So sometimes mediocre teams, a mediocre team might be able in a good year to put a starting 11 out there that can hang with a good team. But they're, then they, there's a drop off with the backups. Mm-hmm. With Alabama and Ohio State, good special teams tells you how good their backups are. Nathan, who'd you have for this? Yeah, I, I struggled to come up with one that I thought fit the parameters because the ones – 
there were some guys who the, the play was probably too big to really fit what we're looking for right here. I mean, I thought Jalen Marshall was a name I had written down as someone who maybe qualified here too, not just because someone who um, didn't have maybe a huge role uh, throughout his career, but was big in this game. Yeah, I mean, there are there are lots of just like in any good game. I mean, that's the thing. We're picking good games when we do this, and it's inevitably it's like, hey, pick a single thing, and it's like, well, you know. There were kind of a lot of little single things, or there were kind of there was so much going on that it was hard to figure out who to do here. I mean, there's just there are a lot of you, they, Ohio State needed a lot of different dudes to do some stuff here. So, um, you know, there's there's some other guys we could get to. It's like Von Bell had a huge pick here. I don't know mm-hmm. if we're gonna. I don't know that I have Von Bell on a, on a later list, but Von Bell is an <laughs> Von Bell is so good. It's easy to forget Von Bell. Von Bell is. So good. He is a huge pick in this game, right? When you think Alabama's taking the lead. All right. A lot more to get to. You guys know the game. Listening at home, you know it. You know the game. But isn't it fun to read? Sometimes on Retalkables, we're like taking you to a place that you haven't gone before. And that's why I was emphasizing things so much with the 68 Ohio State Michigan game last week. Then we did get some good feedback from Texas of like, hey, yeah. Oh, there's actually something I want to talk about. Someone said, I, I, I watched – they watched the 68 Michigan-Ohio State game because of the retalkables last week. They listened to it. And on that thing, I said, hey, go talk to your family members who maybe lived through that game and ask them about it. And this person said – I'm going to paraphrase their text because I don't have it right in front of me, but I'm going to get it right. They said, I asked my, my parent – I think it was her dad – about the 68 Ohio State-Michigan game, and they didn't have a lot of memories about it other than – a banner on campus that said Johnson won't run in 68, which is such a great banner because Ron Johnson's the Michigan running back who finished (laughs) sixth in the Heisman race. And they're saying he won't run on Ohio state in 68. And LBJ is the president in 1968 and is announcing that he he announced he would not run for reelection, which shocked the country and opened up the 1968 democratic uh, presidential primary because the sitting president who could have run for another term did not run. So Johnson won't run in 68. Tremendous banner. But this guy said, I talked to my dad and he said, I don't have memories of the game, but he has a memory of the Rose Bowl then when Ohio State goes out to USC and plays OJ Simpson the Rose Bowl. And this guy's dad had a student ID. How did he have this exactly? He had a student ID does this make sense? And he had his roommate student ID. So something, uh, now I feel like I should read the thing. The guy has a beard and regular clothes on. And he goes through with his student ID at the Rose Bowl and his ticket. And he goes in the bathroom at the Rose Bowl, shaves his beard, changes clothes, and goes outside again, and then gets his brother into the game, like with the ID by posing as a different person, even though it's still him. I think that doesn't actually make sense in the telling of the story exactly. But anyway, the guy's dad shaved and changed clothes in the Rose Bowl to get his brother in on a student ID that he shouldn't have been able to get his brother in on. Oh, I know what he did. No, I don't know what he did. Now I got to work on the plot of this. Maybe I'll cut this part out. It's a really good story. And if we helped you relive these sort of stories that I'm not able to retell properly with your family through Buckeye Retalkables. That's great. This one, you're probably not doing that because you guys all watched it together anyway. Good podcasting, Doug. We'll be back. <laughs> Award <laughs> winner right there. We'll be back. Uh, <laughs> Doug Maurice podcast moment of the Retalkable. Uh, the one where Doug tried to tell a story and got it wrong nine times and it took four minutes. We'll be back on Buckeye Talk.
All right, back on Buckeye Talk. I was going to look up the text and I didn't. I apologize to that person. But I, it's about Buckeye families coming together. Buckeye Talk. Jim Trestle, punt or not to punt, moment of the game. Doesn't have to be about a punt, but sort of like a moment, like a coaching decision in the moment. I actually found one that I didn't think about at the time. And maybe it's because it's six years removed and how people think, but I'm curious to see if you guys have this same one. Down six with 545 left in the game. Alabama has a fourth and nine from the Ohio State 43, and they punt. And I'm wondering now, with six minutes left, down a score, and part of the issue here, it was third and five, and they tried to run a quarterback draw with Blake Sims that exploded, and they lost four yards on it, which is how they wound up on fourth and nine. And we're going to get into more Derrick Henry stuff, I'm sure. To me, if Nick Saban decides there that we're across midfield, we're down six in the final six minutes, we are not punting. I think you call a different play on third down. I think you can, if it's third and five and you know you're going for it, I think you can run Derrick Henry, run Derrick Henry. They didn't really talk about it in the moment. They end up punting Ohio State back. They pin him deep. Ohio State winds up punting the ball back, and it's a terrible punt, and then Alabama takes over at like the 28 yard line and then they throw the pick. So like it worked out that they pinned Ohio state deep, Ohio state did nothing and Alabama got even better field position. But I still wonder final six minutes down a score in Ohio state territory in the modern day, should Nick Saban have thought about going for that? And I know fourth and nine is a lot, but I think if you have your thinking a little different, you might not end up in fourth and nine. You might end up in fourth and two. Any thought, did you guys, did that cross your mind at all? Was it your thing or did it cross your mind at all? Well, it worked. It, I mean, it, it, it did everything it was supposed to do. I mean, they, they couldn't yeah. have predicted the bad, um, insane bounce on the punt right. that worked out so well mm -hmm. for them. But it, it, that made it work out even better. Like, it, it, they did what they had to do. They pinned Ohio State. They made a defensive stop. They got the ball back in amazing field position, and then they throw the pick. So that's really what erased it. But I, I don't know if I can quibble too much with it because it worked. I mean, and, it is, and as well as Ohio State was kind of moving the ball, um, worst case, I mean, best case scenario, if you don't get the fourth down conversion there and you give them back the ball at midfield, then now you're the one that's pinned. And, and Ohio State's defense actually played pretty well in this game. For a game where they gave up 35 points, the, some of that was on short fields. They, they did pretty well. It's a yeah, really, I mean, it's a really right. screwy end to the game, and we have mm -hmm. to sort of go through it because it's like, Ohio State's ahead. Alabama does this. Ohio State screws up. Alabama screws up. Ohio State does something awesome. Bama does something awesome. Ohio State screws up. Bama almost. So it's a really weird thing, but Ohio State was not moving the ball great in the fourth quarter before the Ezekiel Elliott 85-yard run. Mm -hmm. So Nathan, your point I think is right. It's like Saban, I guess Saban did the right thing. The results show that he played it exactly right. Pin them deep. They have an awesome punter. J.K. Scott, by the way, whose parents are from – not his parents. His grandparents live in Cleveland, and that was my greatest reporting discovery of the entire Sugar Bowl week was at Alabama Media Day. I talked to J.K. Scott, and I said – I don't know why I was talking to the Alabama punter, but I was. And I was like, hey, blah, 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 Cleveland, Cleveland Plain Dealer, this thing, whatever. And he said, oh, my grandparents live in Cleveland. And I thought I was Woodward and Bernstein. I was like, I have my story. <laughs> Alabama punters' grandparents live in Cleveland. Very compelling for our audience. Oh, where does your grandmother like to go shopping, J.K. Scott? Um, but it does work. He relied on the defense. He relied on the punter, and it worked perfectly.
So I, I get what you're saying. I just, I thought it in the moment, like the way things are now, it just feels like everyone's saying, get a little more aggressive. Don't give the ball back to teams late in the game. Trust yourself that there is, when you get to the analytics, sometimes the analytics say, go for it. The analytics say, you know, don't, don't give them the ball back. Try it. You have two, sh- two downs to gain five yards. So anyway, Steven, what'd you have for this? I, I think if J.K. Scott wasn't punting the way he was punting, then you have a better point. But he had already shown his ability to pin Ohio State's offense back, and they weren't necessarily moving the ball as well. So it was hard to find a, any problem with any, any of those punts because every single time it, Ohio State had a journey to get up the field to score a touchdown. No, that's true. But also, you know who's a really good punter? Cam Johnston. And he kicked a punt then after Ohio State got the ball here that bounced backwards 20 yards. So sometimes punts still screw you up. That was Australian punting backfiring in its entirety. He's such a good punter, though. Uh, Steven, Mm. did you have a a Trussell punt or not to punt moment that was different? I didn't. No, I didn't have one. Did you have anything different, Nathan? This wasn't a coaching decision, and this may not be the right time. Well, I had two things I wanted to talk about here. Number one was – how much of a catastrophe could it have been when Tyvis Powell ran that interception out of the end zone at the end of the game? Oh, and Tyvis Powell will like will not apologize for it. Everybody's, <laughs> yeah. everybody's always like Tyvis. Tyvis is like, hey man, no when doubt. I got when I got the ball in my hands and a chance and a chance to do something, I don't care if I might have lost the semifinal if I fumbled. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a helmet on a hand right there, and we're talking about a very different ending to this game. Um, I also wanted to. to I feel like we're going to like kind of breeze past Michael Thomas a little bit here. I don't know if there's another time to talk about him. So I wanted to throw shade at the, I picked the the five NFL teams that drafted a wide receiver ahead of Michael Thomas in 2016 and put mm-hmm. them here for this. Um, like, and I didn't have, I only know Michael Thomas really from what he's doing now, which is being brilliant in the NFL and, and doing it as well as anybody's doing it. But you, I thought you saw some of that in this game. I mean, he was special. You could see how special of a talent he was, I thought, at times in this game. Led by that list is led by the Cleveland Browns, yeah. who took Corey Coleman as the first yep. receiver in that draft because he played in a high-flying Baylor Big 12 offense, and the Browns figured that if he put up a lot of stats, he must be good. Michael Thomas's hands, and I actually want to get to, I, I want to get to this later. Michael Thomas's hands. He, he had a thing where he did this. Uh, they, had, they used to have like a, a big, like, six-foot-tall board with a hole in it that had like the the uh, zone six slogan on it and michael thomas even did like a little like ohio state little video of it and like they would throw a shoot a ball from the jugs machine like through the hole and you had to catch it through the hole like michael thomas would do like these one-handed catches michael thomas has the strongest hands and he like never lets the ball get to his body he's always like out front i mean his he is so reliable with that and yeah and again not just like I, we all saw it the NFL didn't see it. Anybody at Ohio State who covered Ohio State then saw it. And we, back in the very, very early uh, days of this podcast, I think one of the first ones we did, we started in 2015 and we were talking about who would be the best NFL player off that 2015 Ohio State team that was so awesome that had everybody from this game, Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, and everybody else. And we kind of said Michael Thomas. And like we were as good as Ezekiel Elliott and Joey, Joey Bosa are, it's like we were kind of right. And like he went in the middle of the second round. But if you were around him and you understood how the Ohio State offense worked and that they didn't feature him, but you saw the way he worked and you saw all the things he did as a route runner and as a, the way he disciplined himself and how hard he worked and his amazing, amazing hands, um, you did see it coming. 
The Tim Beck, Tim Beck, Bill Davis, questionable coaching moment, bad schemes, bad play calls, et cetera. Nathan, this is more of an overall sort of strategy that maybe was bad. What do you think? So I like aggressive play. I like taking your shot when it's there. I quibbled with throwing long up seven with under two minutes to play with Jones and Elliott in the backfield. I know what they're trying to do there. And if it had worked, it would look brilliant. But I think every second is an eternity almost, especially in college football where the clock stops more. I want, I want that clock running. I want them using a timeout. I, I want that, that game shortened. I, I think I keep the ball on the ground there. Steven, you shook your head. Is that your thing? Yeah, my exact one. I don't know what they were trying to do there. You're winning the game, and you have the best running back in, the, in college football who just showed you that he's the best. Give him the ball again. Just it's, give him the ball. It's the worst coaching sequence in recent Ohio State history, and if they had lost, it, people would have been fired for it. Tom Herbin, I think, has since said, I don't know what I was doing either. It's not just the play calls. This is that sequence. They get the ball with 157 left. They run three plays. They take like less than 20 seconds off the clock. And this, the, the first play is a deep ball, but not only is it a deep ball, it's a deep ball to Evan Spencer. It's not a deep ball to Devin Smith, the best deep ball mm-hmm. receiver in the game. Devin Smith is not on the field for this play. And again, I don't know if this is a receiver rotation gone bad, but they come out and they throw on this first down and neither Devin Smith nor Michael Thomas are in the game. They're not in the game. Corey Smith and Evan Spencer are in the game instead, which is insane. And so not just the decision to throw, but that ball. And by the way, you know who's very capable of throwing up a deep ball and getting it picked? Cardale Jones. Awful. Second play. You have Curtis Samuel and Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield, and you use Ezekiel Elliott as the lead blocker for Curtis Samuel. For one carry. You hand up on second down. And it's not to Ezekiel Elliott. One yard. Third down. Instead of now trying to throw to Michael Thomas or maybe trying to throw a screen to Zeke or something, you call a quarterback run for Cardale Jones. He runs backwards for an 11-yard loss. They take 18 seconds off the clock and lose 10 yards and give Bama the ball back with 135 or something, no timeouts. But if Bama had a competent quarterback, if you had been punting the ball back to Joe Burrow or Tua Tonga-Vailoa or Trevor Lawrence, this goes down as the greatest choke in Ohio State history. They got bailed out. That play calling was bonkers. Tom Herman, that's on you, brother. It was absolutely indefensibly insane that with all that talent, the three guys you put the ball on, Evan Spencer, Curtis Samuel, Cardale Jones, that's who you go to with the game on the line. It is forgotten because they won. It is embarrassing that that's their thought process in the moment. I could not believe it in rewatching it. And Curtis Samuel hadn't had the ball the entire game. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, 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 but the fact that Ezekiel Elliott is, is in the game lets you know that he's probably oh, – Tom Herman's overthinking that situation. What do you think? You think if you go Zeke, Zeke, Zeke there, you get a first down? Yeah. Zeke I don't three. care if he you might, get a first he, down, but how no, much honestly, more clock do you use, too? I mean, yeah, that, too, but also he might break one for 15, 16 yards just because he's Ezekiel Elliott. 
I mean, Lane Kiffin gets a raft of crap for this game for not using Derrick Henry enough. They are trying to put the game away, and they don't run Ezekiel Elliott. That's as stupid as anything Lane Kiffin did. It, I mean, it's, they won, but, man, Tom Herman, you lost your mind there for a second, man. Maybe Texas should have looked at that three-play sequence before they hired you for be a head coach. Also, and everybody knows this story as well, they were so good on third down the whole game, and I have the stat here somewhere, but they ran a third down where they ran a jet sweep with Noah Brown, who's like a 250-pound receiver. And it was the worst jet sweep you've ever seen in your life. And it's because Tom Herman didn't know that Noah Brown was in the game because it's like a receiver rotation thing again. And I think he thought it was, he thought Jalen Marshall was in the game. And all of a sudden Noah Brown, who is like as big as Billy price is running a jet sweep and like running parallel to the line of scrimmage five yards behind the line of scrimmage. And it's like, Oh no, that is not what we wanted to do there. So that again, is just like a wild screw up in the middle of the most important game in recent Ohio state history. Kenny Guyton, next man up award. Did a guy get hurt and need replaced? Is there a guy filling in for a star? Nathan, did you have a next man up award here? I, I'm going to defer to your judgment on this because I, I, I tried to, to do some reading but didn't really find a great example for this. Okay. I have a moment. There was one moment. Steven, did you have one? I did. Um, okay, go ahead. There's, um, within the game, uh, Chase Ferris has to come in for Zach Bourne. I think Pat Alfine moved to Justin center. Justin Bourne. Just, I'm sorry. Uh, Justin Bourne. And, and so – and Pat Alfine has to move the center on that on that next play, um, and it works because Zeke Elliott ends up scoring right up the middle the very next play. So that's mine. Not Justin Boren either. I said the wrong thing. I corrected you. You said the wrong Boren brother. I corrected you with the other wrong Boren brother. It's Jacoby Boren. Jacoby Boren gets bent. So many Borens. Gets bent in half. They show it. He gets yeah. rolled up in the pile. I don't know how his body bent that direction. So he is an undersized center. He is not an NFL player. Everybody knew it, but he is like the fulcrum of this offensive line. And he, I can't believe his legs didn't get ripped off the way he bent. And as Steven said, Elfline moves from right guard to center. Chase Ferris comes in at right guard. They're at the goal line. Next play, Ezekiel Elliott right up the middle. Pat Elfline at center makes one of the blocks and they score. And then the next series, Jacoby Boren's back. I don't know if he has robot legs at that point or what. I have no idea how he only missed basically one play in that game. But they did have to shift the offensive line, and it worked perfectly. And then Chase Ferris, it's a little audition. Uh, all these guys we talk about as like a one-year senior starter that make a difference. This team has that in Daryl Baldwin. So is that like a point of reference, Nathan? Like what Daryl ba- what Brandon Bowen was for last year's team, like well, though Brand- Bowen Bo- was a starter before, but Daryl Baldwin's a fifth-year senior who starts at right tackle for one year for the national champions. Cleveland area guy, Solon guy. And then in 15, Baldwin graduates, so then 15, it's Chase Ferris. Illyria guy, another Northeast Ohio guy. Chase Ferris comes in. He's, Chase Ferris is like the sixth lineman in 2014. He moves up and becomes a starting right tackle in 2015. But, yeah. Shout out to Jacoby Bourne for, and his flexible lower body because uh, I don't know how he did it. John Cooper, if he'll bite, he'll bite as a pup idea. This is a lot where we like to talk about young guys. Here's the thing that's hard here. All the best players on the team are second-year guys. So it's like, oh, you know who's a really good young player? Joey Bosa. It's like, yeah. You know who's really good young player? Ezekiel Elliott. We know this is this miraculous 2013 recruiting class, their second-year players leading this team to the national title. The 2014 class, which is the, the first-year guys who, who were trying to do, not a, not a ton of contribution for this team. Steven, who did, you, who did you have maybe as a young guy flashing? 
I mean, Curtis Samuel got the ball. He didn't do much with it, but the fact that he was out there in that pivotal, pivotal moment and got the ball, I think he's the only guy that you can just think of offhand because, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's if you're going to do this, this is a category where the entire 2013 class just kind of fits. They're already stars by now. Yeah. So, Nathan, did you have a young guy? Does price count here? Yeah, you can count him. I mean, he's a 13 guy, but he redshirted in 2013. He's a redshirt freshman in 2014. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's just what I pay. I mean, someone like that. It, by this time in your your season after you've been starting stuff, I mean, you're not really a – you're not someone who's flashing something as a youngster. You're almost a, a veteran in some ways at that point playing on this stage, but that was the one who jumped out to me. I mean, Billy Price, this is his first year of four years being an Ohio State starter. And, and then as he got older, he would go back and talk about how this season was so difficult on him. You get a lot – he got criticism as a young lineman. I mean, again, you're, you know, you're a redshirt freshman starting on the offensive line for Ohio State. You're going to make some mistakes. That was hard on him. He was very open about that. But the idea that, you know, this guy's going to be a first-round pick like in four years, you know, but here he is starting for a national championship team. Um, so to Steven's point, I mean, I think the two guys from the 2014 class, the first-year guys who were doing anything for this team, Curtis Samuels back there like as the kick returner, and then a little bit on offense, and then Raquan McMillan. Raquan McMillan as a true freshman – as the number one guy in that 2014 recruiting class is sharing middle linebacker with Curtis Grant. It was a great rotation. Grant's a senior. McMillan's a freshman. It's a great rotation. But it is, it's, it's a little odd in that um, it's, it's a lot like the 13 class is a lot like the 17 class. Mm-hmm. And the 14 class is like the 18 class. That the 13 and 17 classes were so good, they blocked the classes behind them a little bit. And some of those guys sort of had to wait for their turn. So certainly this early, they weren't doing a ton. You could probably throw Gary on Conley in there as well because he's not a superstar, but that's a future first-round draft pick who got some snaps in his game at two tackles. He was in uh, definitely in on some special teams, right? Mm-hmm. And definitely in, yeah, you could see it. There were some guys floating through. It's just fun. To, I mean, again, I saw there's some guys, you know. This Paris- is a loaded class. Taekwon Lewis is in that 2013 class. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> like this is a very loaded class. Uh, it's not top-heavy. No, yeah. If your point is that the 2013 Ohio State recruiting class is awesome, yes. You are. I know. It's just it's it's going back through it and looking at it. It's like, man. Ad nauseum. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's the class that changed Ohio State. But, yeah, but like you said, it's not just, yes, we know Joey Bosa at the top was awesome and some of these guys. But, yeah, they got a fact, the fact that you had guys like Billy Price and Tyquan Lewis in here who became multi-year starters for Ohio State um, when they weren't necessarily top 100 guys. It's exactly what you want out of a recruiting class. I actually realized I, I forgot my Ted Ginn Jr. speed moment of the game. I did the reverse speed moment of the game and gave it to Noah Brown on that jet <laughs> Um Nathan, did you have an actual speed moment? So I, I know that there's too many obvious ones, and we've talked about them before. I want to talk about the Steve Miller speed moment of the game. Yeah. Taking the interception home as a defensive lineman. Um, just, just one of the proudest big man touchdowns in recent college football history. Uh, and, and one that I think in, in, in the long run, I'm sure Ohio State fans remember it. I think nationally it probably gets obscured by some of the other big plays that happen just in this game. Obviously, the Ezekiel Elliott speed moment that, that kind of defines this game in some ways. But, um, man, what, what a huge moment. I can't even kind of imagine what it would have been like to have been in a, Ohio, a Columbus bar that night watching that moment happen. And Steve Miller's one of those guys, I mean, on a, on a team full of defensive stars, he was kind of, he might have been the 11th guy on that defense. And it was very reminiscent. There was a guy named Solomon Thomas who made an interception uh, in the 2000, at the end of the 2010 season in the Sugar Bowl 
uh, against Arkansas that was kind of like an unheralded defensive end dropping in in zone coverage on a zone blitz and making an interception just like that. And now he's Steve Miller did it again. Great call. They have three defensive linemen on that play. They bring a linebacker. They drop one of the three defensive linemen. He drops right into the, in front of Amari Cooper. It's a great call by Luke Fickle and Chris Ash to dial it up at that moment. But there was a play and I'm trying to look for it earlier in the game. Alabama had an interception and I thought it looked like the guy maybe had enough blockers to maybe get to the end zone. And he kind of ran out of bounds, like at the 15 yard line. And there were enough situations here, Ohio state early, like the, the Devin Smith had a reception early in this game. And I'm going to get in this later where he like had it caught a deep ball and went out of bounds at the one yard line. And they didn't get a touchdown out of it. Mm-hmm. Because Cardale Jones came out, dropped the snap on the next play on first and goal. They lost 10 yards, and they wound up kicking a field goal. The fact that Steve Miller got in the end zone, not only the catch, Nathan, but what you're talking about is the speed on this run and the want to. And they talk about this a lot with the Ohio State defense. As soon as there's a change of possession, when you get a turnover, they work on everybody look for a block because they want to score. And if Steve Miller gets tackled at the four-yard line here, you're leaving open the possibility of them to do something stupid with their play calling for Cardale to drop the ball or whatever. And all of a sudden you're kicking a field goal there and get a score and a touchdown. It wasn't just the great call and that he actually, he caught it. I thought it was, which is what you're saying, Nathan, that he got in a couple guys got out in front of him, but this dude, this defensive end, like would not let himself get stopped short of the end zone. Yeah, I mean, I think any speed from a defensive lineman, I guess this is all, it's the, it's the Ted Ginn relative speed moment in some ways, but I mean, it, 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 his, his uh, drive finished that off. Steven, what'd you have? I went to um, Alabama for this, just in the name of unnecessarily huge people with unnecessarily, who are just fast for no reason. Uh, uh, Derrick Henry's a run that set up Alabama's last score. I mean, Derrick Henry is six foot three, 238 pounds, and he's moving. It, guys that I understand you're a running back, but you, that's a large man moving extremely fast. And uh, I mean, uh, he's not Ted Ginn fast, clearly, but when you're that big and you're moving that fast, you're pretty, pretty a force in nature at that point. Steven, I don't know if you saw someone sent a text yesterday that said, I have a question for Steven. And they directed it specifically at you. And I saw it. And, but it, it was about, they said, could Trey Sermon, it was about the Trey Sermon Master Teague combo, and they said, "Could Master Teague be like J.K. Dobbins, kind of low center of gravity guy, and could Trey Sermon be like Derrick Henry, like upright running guy?" And I get it, you know, people have characteristics as a runner, and you sort of latch onto the characteristics. And so I, I replied um, to the uh, texter and I said, "I have at least a partial answer to your question, but you didn't direct it at me, so I'm not going to answer it." So they, so even if you see the text, you can go answer it for him. Anybody who is comparing Trey Sermon to Derrick Henry because they both run upright, you are barking up the wrong tree. I'm not. You said Derrick Henry's what six three two thirty eight. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure you're under. You might be underselling him a little bit. Well, Trey, this is college Derrick Henry too. This isn't grown man NFL Derrick Henry. Trey Sermon's listed at six one two fifteen. So at mm-hmm. minimum, Derrick Henry's got two inches and twenty five pounds on Trey Sermon. I'm telling you, Ohio State fans, if you're waiting for Trey Sermon to be Derrick Henry, you will be waiting all year. Now, he doesn't have to be Derrick Henry, 
for Ohio State to win the national championship this year. But let's not go with kind of tall guy runs upright. Oh, he's like the Heisman winner. And I understand it's a stylistic comparison, which is fine. But please do not mistake that for a production or ability comparison, because that is not what Trey Sermon is going to be this year. There is, you want your running back to get low. And then with, with everything in the world in life, there are exceptions to whatever rules are. Derrick Henry is the exception to the rule because as we found out, as the NFL is finding out as well, Josh Norman found out, Derrick Henry doesn't have to get low to throw you out of his way. Correct. He just has to see you and decide, I don't want you in my way anymore. And then you're a meme on Twitter. And also if you send a text and would like a reply, maybe don't direct it to just one of us because, you know, who knows when that's going to happen. Cause I had, I had my answer loaded, but you didn't want to hear it from me. The guy who's covered football for 15 years. Okay. We are going to come back with style check meme it Maurice Claret game saving moment. And then does this look like a championship team? Does this Ohio state national championship team look like a national championship team next on Buckeye talk. Back on Buckeye Talk, style check. My style check is Nick Saban's hair. Nick Saban, at the time of this game, is 63 years old. He just got COVID-19, and sort of the coverage is like, old man gets COVID-19. That's my reaction, too. He's 68. Nick Saban's, his pregame interview before this game, he looks like a matinee idol. Ironically, his hair is Auburn. He is beautiful. He is a beautiful 63-year-old man. Urban Meyer is 50 when this game kicks off. And Nick Saban, there is not a strand of gray hair on his head. Urban Meyer's got the gray sides all over the place. And Urban Meyer looks like he has ripped out every last bit of his hair that isn't gray. Nick Saban's die job, shout out, brother. I mean, I'm, I know it's like Coach K. Mike Krzyzewski does not have jet black hair naturally until his mid-70s. But what Nick Saban is doing, he's got like a little poof with it. He's got like a little like night, like, hey, baby, we're getting ready to play. the Like I, I fell in love with Nick Saban for two minutes. He looked, he was kind of like dismissive, but like with kind of that Nick Saban, like, you know, well, we know we just got to do everything right. I mean, I don't know if we're going to do everything right. I mean, I prepared these guys. I don't know what they're going to do, but I look great. We'll see what they do. And it's just like, Nick, I love you. He's 13 years older than Urban. Nick Saban style, on point, die job, on point. Nathan, style check. Yeah, one of the things I wrote down was like, man, how much has Nick Saban aged just in the last six years? And that was before anything happened with COVID. Because now you see him, it, it, there are, you are starting to see some differences. But, um, but still at 60, whatever he is now, better shape than I was at 16 probably. So um, I, I think he'll be all right, hopefully. Um, and I also put down like, I mean, just – the Alabama uniforms are – that's kind of what college football is to me. I know people love Ohio State uniforms too, and I thought this was a good game of, of just those color schemes. I, I, think it's, I think it's a beautiful match. So I'm looking Steven. forward to 2020-whatever 20, when they play again, 2030. No, it's before 2030, isn't it? Whenever it's it is. I can't remember. I meant to look it up. Yeah, 2028, I think. All right, Stephen, go ahead. One, I agree with you, Nathan, except I hate numbers on helmets. I hate it with all of my heart. I just, I hate it. I, I, I hate that the Washington football team does it now too, but the crop top is the style check moment of this game, mainly because they took it away from him after this season. 
And it's funny. I see why they kind of took it away from him. One, because it's just, you look ridiculous. But especially when you see what he did at the draft with the crop top. But also, on the 54-yard run when he hurls the guy, I think his back plate came loose. And so it's flopping on one side. And that could have easily, if it comes loose again, it could easily become a projectile. Oh, yeah. So it, it's like... <laughs> It's like part of it is we don't want you to have any swag, but also we don't want your back plate flopping around and maybe hitting somebody in the face. And you're talking – did you say Zeke? You're talking about Zeke. But also Derrick Henry – well, I don't know if you said – did you say Ezekiel Elliott? Okay. Yeah. No. I I thought I did. Nathan, did he say Ezekiel Elliott? I'm not talking about the 54-yard run. I thought that made it – Well, I use context clues to figure out who you're talking about. but Derrick Henry is also a little crop toppy a little bit, isn't he, in this game? It makes me – I guess it probably it is a, a strategy choice too, because like when the Reds, not the Reds, when Washington football team played the Browns a couple weeks ago, and Miles Garrett sacked Dwayne Haskins by his undershirt, that there's nothing if you just got abs, and you're a diving, if you're a defensive player diving to grab a running back, it is hard. I wouldn't know this because I don't have them. It is hard to grab an ab, and hold on. But some, if you got a jersey, you can grab a little something there, right? I mean, I don't know. We could, because anyone ever grabbed your ab, Stephen? It's hard. It's hard to grab an ab. I don't answer that. Nathan, has anyone ever grabbed your ab? I don't know hard if I have to, abs. Ab, hard, I, I mean, here's the thing that I don't understand about abs. Do people like Nathan and I, do we not have abs or are our abs just buried, right? Or do they not exist? I think there are there are levels to abdominal. Everybody has abdominal muscles, obviously, but there are levels because Chase Young used to do it before the game and then tuck his shirt in when it was time. When he when they were running down the hill, they could, not the hill, whatever that thing is called, but he would have his out. And obviously, he's got abs that I don't have, and that majority of the people in the stadium that day didn't have. So there are levels. Everybody has the muscle, but everybody doesn't necessarily have abs that the world should see. Is I like he- to refer to my abs as buried treasure. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a beautiful six pack under there, yeah. But it's 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 just you gotta find it. You gotta... I think I think tragically, it's quite possible that I was born without them. I'm not sure. I might have to have a fundraiser for myself. The ablis, the ablis in the world who need help. Uh, meme it. Uh, an ab transplant, Chase. Please, can I just have like two? You go when, down when, to a four pack and I'll have a two pack. His one like, abs is just bigger than all of your abs combined. It's gonna be like when you check out at the grocery store and you're like, Would you like to donate a dollar to the to the to children's hospital? We're gonna be like when you sign up for, for Buckeye Talk subtext, we're gonna have would you like to donate a dollar to, to the our, Doug our Lamery's ab, ab. ab transplant <laughs> initiative? Just donate an ab. <laughs> My, my fam, have I talked about, my family always knows I said, whenever, like everybody wants you to round up now, right? It's like, hey, your bill is 2714. Would you like to round up to $28? I always want to say, would you like to round down? So if my bill is 2714, just mm-hmm. charge me 27. You take your 14 cents and give it to charity. Mm-hmm. You think my charitable giving is done in the line of a fast food restaurant? I got a plan, man. I'm not just not, I'm not throwing my roundup change at whatever you deem to be an important charity. I get you're trying to do something good in the world, but don't do it with my money. Do it with your money because now you get credit for it. Oh, uh, fast food establishment X donated. That's yeah, not your money. It's my 71 cents rounded up. I'll take care of my charitable giving myself. Thank you very much. Give me my fries. 
Meme it. Weird thing that will become a meme in the Twitter age. This is the Twitter age already. It's only six years ago. Nathan, what was a good meme? I mean, it's got to be the urban headset toss, oh, right? I mean, <laughs> you do like five million things with this. Like when, when, when you don't get called on in the Ohio State football Zoom chat, you just throw your headset or when, when, they're, when they sell the last BK chicken fries as Doug is walking up to the counter, throws his pink headset. Like dude, you can do any, anything for this. So it fits, it fits so many ways. Cam Johnston, Cam Johnston got run into on a punt in the end zone, and they called it running into the kicker instead of roughing the kicker. So it wasn't a 15-yarder. It was only a five-yarder. And, and Cam Johnston sold it. Cam Johnston got hit on his foot and then spun like a ballet dancer and fell down. But Urban – and then Urban, not only – and obviously you saw this, Nathan. It's not just the headset chuck. It's the spin before the chuck. He spins mm -hmm. and then a two-hand chuck of the headset. It's beautiful, and it is – it's one of those things in retrospect. I mean, it's like it was hard in the moment. Listen, a lot of people in the moment were talking about like how long is Urban Meyer going to be the coach here? And it's like, it's no fun to be like, oh yeah, it's I don't know. I don't want to play God with people's lives. Actually, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But going back now and it's like, you watch Urban Meyer in this game and it's like, would you believe that this man will retire as head coach of Ohio State because of stress in six years? And you're like, yep, absolutely I buy that. He chucked his headset over a punting penalty. Um, he looks kind of stressed. He looks kind of stressed during this game. Steven, what you got? Um, so I was wrong. The Ohio against the world meme it is from this game. And it's when uh, um, Alabama's down. Uh, Ohio State's up 27 to 21. So I was wrong. So that's the clear meme at moment. Um, I don't have a meme at moment other than, you know, <laughs> chucking the headset. But when the game first starts in the, the long version – Michael Blackston, I don't know, the comedian is in Ohio State's fan section. Oh, and for I didn't real? Really, yeah. And I'm, I, was, I was like, wait a minute. Michael Blackston's from Philadelphia. Why are you an Ohio State fan? Let's get to the bottom of that six years later. Put it on your list. Yeah. Call him up. We'll see. Maybe he's got a connection. Maybe he was there because he's friends with Landis. Those Philly guys all stick go. together. Yeah. Maurice Claret game-saving moment. Nathan, this is one of those things, again, it's like at a game like this, it's like, well, it could be this, or it could be this, or it could be this, or it could be this. What'd you have, Nathan? I mean, you almost, yeah, they, they stack up, and it's like, do you pick the most pivotal moment, or do you pick the one that maybe, like, finally put, put, the, put the period on it? So I picked the Von Bell interception after that mm -hmm. unlucky punt roll that seemed like it was setting Alabama up in just a, a dream sequence, and he gets the pick that, that chokes that off, and they're able to finish off the win. I mean, and everybody says it. I mean, it's the thing – if you run Derrick Henry seven times straight, I think Alabama scores. Because they took over at like the 23, I think. I mean, it's yeah, like you start like that, a drive yeah. after a punt at the 23-yard line, and your first play is to come out and throw it in the end zone. Blake Sims is terrible. <laughs> he truly – he is not a good quarterback. And that, that is the call at that point is absolutely mind-blowing. I know it's like sometimes when you get a you know, change like that, you go for it right away. Man, they were not stopping Derrick Henry. Ohio State was not stopping that guy, and I think they just could have gone. If he gets five yards a carry for five carries, they're in the end zone and they take the lead. And it's just an unbelievable call, but it's an unbelievable play by Von Bell, who is just an absolutely unbelievable player. I think we loved him. I loved him. I love talking to him here. Um, but I think he still kind of is underrated as a player somehow because he's just excellent. Steven. Yeah, Von Bell's was mine as well just because that's literally a game-saving play in a world where there were so many stacking up. But, the, yeah, Blake Sims' interceptions were – even the Steve Miller one, that's a great play call. 
But at the same time, it felt like Blake Sims stared it down for 25 years and then just threw it at Stephen Miller. He didn't see it. Quarterback, when you drop a defensive lineman like that, it's like yeah. you look through the coverage. You just don't think the guy is there. You just you don't even – it's like you don't process that there's somebody there. Um, so – that Von Bell interception, that again, that's at 34-28. So Alabama has a chance to take the lead there. I went with the Evan Spencer to Michael Thomas touchdown pass. Um, it was 21-13. It happened with – they completed it with 12 seconds left in the first half. It gives them all the momentum going into halftime. They go into halftime down 21-20. If they don't complete that, they probably kick a field goal, and they go in down 21-16. But it's all the momentum of that. And I think it might be the best catch in Ohio State history. And I know it's like, I don't know. Chick Harley probably had some catch in 1916 that I'm not taking into account. But like, I went back and just double checked, like rewatched, like, holy Buckeye. That's a crazy call. And like Krenzel steps up in the pocket and makes the throw. And Michael Jenkins is there and he's got to catch it down the field. But it's not like, it's the, the throw's there and he beat the guy. But the catch itself that Michael Thomas went up and got the ball and got one foot down like that, talking about strong hands, I don't know how many other guys in the country catch that. It's an unbelievable throw by Spencer who puts it – the DB's not fooled. It's a trick play. It's the, the double reverse. And Thomas tries to sell the route by sort of giving up on it. He runs out and then like slows down and almost stops and then breaks to the corner of the end zone. And the DB breaks right with him. And the DB's right there. And Spencer puts it the only place he could have put it, but I still cannot believe Michael Thomas caught that because Spencer had some juice on that thing. And then he went up that high, caught it with two hands like that, and then got one foot down four inches inside Mm -hmm. the sideline is just as, as much as it's an absolutely memorable play that they'll remember forever, the play call, the throw and everything. I just think it's a game changing game saving moment the actual physics of the catch are just, just absolutely blow me away. Does this look like a championship Ohio state team, Steven? Yeah. And it really, and it didn't at the start of the year, but yeah, after this, I mean, they, they knocked off the number one team in the country. So yeah. And we all know what happened against Oregon. So yes, this is clearly a national championship winning team. So yeah. Nathan. Oh, definitely. I mean, this team to me, like of all the rewatchables that we've done, it just stands out in to me, like in terms of just sheer talent, just the 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 the, the pop that this team has at so many different places. Um, this team, like just more than anything else we watched. I mean, this is almost like the definition of what a national championship team is in terms of just assembled talent. So I'm going to say two things here at the end that I think are maybe maybe unpopular. Um, but it's where I stand on this game after the rewatch. And that's why, I mean, like sometimes you rethink things as you look back. So I said, I wanted to talk about the talent Um, by my count. And I didn't look up. I'm sure other people have done this over the years, but my count on this, and it's remarkable by my count, it came out this way. I have both teams having 31 guys who were on the rosters. That includes guys who were redshirting this year, both had 31 who would eventually be drafted. And among guys who were actually like playing and did something in this game and weren't redshirting or weren't backups who didn't get on the field, both teams had 21 guys in this game who did something who would go on to be drafted. Um, among those guys, Ohio State had six first rounders and four second rounders among the, the guys who really matter. Now I'm really not even counting backups. I'm counting guys who really played. 
Bama has four first rounders and nine second rounders. But really when you talk about like the top end, part of what we didn't realize and the, the whole world picked Alabama to win this game. We didn't realize Ohio State's talent. We did. And it's funny to look back now and, and, and think like, oh man, Ohio State's going to lose to Bama. They can't win this game. And then you look, it's like, well, they had Joey Bosa. <laughs> they had Michael Thomas. They had Ezekiel Elliott. They had Darren Lee. They had Vaughn Bell. It's like, what do you mean you didn't think Ohio State could win? I think Bama's the better team. I think Ohio State has better players. I thought, I thought re-watching this, I could not believe how loose Ohio State was. Loose in like a, hey, any play could be like a 60-yard touchdown or an unbelievably horrible negative play or turnover. And a lot of that's Cardale. And listen, Cardale is unbelievable. Cardale really gets it together later. Cardale early on is out of his mind. <laughs> they, they have no idea what they're doing on offense. In this game, Ohio State is 10 of 18 on third down. Alabama is 2 of 13. On first and second down, Alabama was undoubtedly the better team. Ohio State on first and second down had no idea what it was doing. And then on third down, it'd be like third and 10. I'd be like, what should we do now? It's like, I don't know. Do you want to just like drop Cardale back and see what happens? It's like, okay. And then half the time, Cardale would throw it down the field and somebody would catch it. And half the time, Cardale would be like, I don't know. I guess I'll run. Cardale's running saved this game early on there was no offensive design in the second half they came out with cardale and threw like two or three quick slants to get him going a little bit in the first half there was not a like a there were practically no throws in rhythm there were a couple third down rips but what's the first and second downs for ohio state's offense in this game it's like cardale would like fake a handoff look around be like i don't know what to do and then just start running and that was their offense, and it kind of worked. And Alabama, with its terribly, terribly, terribly mediocre quarterback, was much more like on point, I thought. And, and Alabama jumped out to the lead. Ohio State looked dead early on. This is why I thought – that's why I picked that turning point. Because, And by the way, I forgot to mention this earlier. There is a karmic point that developed for me here. And as I always say, I can't tell if this is a point that everybody in the world agrees with and knows or if it's something that – has not been thought of by a lot of people. But this game reminded me of a very recent game, which I'll get to at the end of this. So I thought in the end, it's like, is it a championship team? This is why I didn't make it the Urban Meyer game. Listen, man, they're playing a third string quarterback and it's a miracle that they beat Alabama here. Like, like execution, right? Like game plan? I don't know, man. Like this was not an execution and game plan kind of win. This was like a Devin Smith, run far. Cardale, chuck it. Cardale, try to run over a safety. Zeke, here's a toss. The blocking's kind of eh. See if you can break four tackles. The individual plays of the top-end Ohio State guys, Darren Lee, Ezekiel Elliott, Joey Bosa, Devin Smith, Cardale at moments. That's what won this game to me. Because Ohio State's top-end players, their top-end was better than Bama's top-end. But, like, better team, better execution, better, like, doing your thing. Now, part of it is Lane Kiffin. I feel like they could have used Cooper more. Maybe Ohio State took him away. They certainly could have used Derrick Henry more. Everybody agrees to that. But it's funny. Of course, they're a championship team. But I felt like they got lucky in a lot of ways in this game. And they also never gave up. And didn't you, did you guys feel like there are – and this is probably every great game you feel this way – but there are, there are points in the path where it absolutely could have gone a different way. 
if Bama just converts one of its third downs early, they could not convert a third down to save their lives. If Ohio State doesn't convert all these third and longs in the first half, if they don't convert them, it's just an absolutely different game because they're punting the ball and giving it back, but they kept picking up third and eight, third and nine. There was a stat in the third quarter. Ohio State was nine of 13 on third downs at one point when their average yards to go on third down was 7.3 yards, and they converted nine of 13 of them. Alabama's average yards to go on third down was 3.4 yards, and they converted one of seven of them. So Alabama was getting it done on first and set down, second down, setting themselves up and then not converting. Ohio State was doing nothing on first and second down and then pulling out of the bag. So lots of credit with that, but also just like, I just, just loose was the word that I thought of like, hey, what's your third down play? Uh, deep ball? And then just Cardale's like, well, I can throw it 60 yards flat-footed without thinking about it. I mean, they, they converted. They scored a touchdown because Bama put Devin Smith in one-on-one man coverage and the corner fell down. And it was like, would you like a free touchdown? It's like, yeah, we'll take a free touchdown. So it's just stuff like that. Ohio State's awesome. They were actually like the win was like not quite as impressive as I thought it would be before I rewatched it, if any of that makes any sense. Yeah, they didn't. They had big moments, but they didn't necessarily dominate the game the way, I mean, when I was watching it as a sophomore in college, I thought they did, especially from the Evan Spencer throw on. It was more, um, it, yes, big plays matter, but it was, you know, extremely, it was boomer bust. That's it exactly really what this offense was. It was, okay, Ezekiel Elliott's going to run for 85 yards, but also we're going to have plays where Cardell Jones has 11 yard, 11 yard losses. So the, in a boomer bust world, the boom just paid off more often than the bust did. And they and out Ohio Alabama's State, quarterback was incompetent at times. They outgained Alabama by mm-hmm. a ton. I mean, early on, it's like they're losing. Ohio State's losing, and they have double Alabama's yardage. So, but it is, but it's because they were getting it in such big chunks, which is what great teams with great talent do. But I didn't think the consistency was as there as much as I expected. Nathan, do you? Is there any part of this point that you agree with, or do you think I'm I'm giving Ohio State not enough credit? No, and I think uh, I had some of the same thoughts that I think you were hinting at as far as a team that builds an early lead, but did they take advantage of it enough, and did that cost them in the end? So let's get to enjoyment meter, scale of 1 to 1,000 for the average college football fan. Steven? 1,000. It's a college football playoff game. It's Urban Meyer against Nick Saban. It's Ohio State versus Alabama. It's where Ohio State's the clear underdog, and Alabama's the big bad wolf of of college football. It's a thousand. Nathan? I, I reserve a thousand for like a true upset. And I know this is four versus one. And I know Ohio State had lost a game, but I don't, it's not an upset. I mean, anytime you've got Urban Meyer, anytime you've got a program that just won a national championship, it's not like a, a big, like out of nowhere upset. So I would reserve that for that or for, or for putting a game like this in the championship game. So I'm going to go like 956. If you're on like an academic grading scale and 95.6 is still a solid A, like definitely an A game. But, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm reserving, like, something more than that for something unexpected. They were, like, nine-point underdogs. Yeah. This is a pretty big upset. Mm, I'm, a I'm betting just... upset, but not like – you know what I'm saying, though. And I don't, they don't happen very often in football. Yeah, like, they don't happen in the, football the way they happen in, like, basketball. When the idea of what Ohio State is against the SEC, your last two ideas of that are the LSU game and the Florida game. When you have that context as well, I think that adds into it. I mean, it's not Butler. Right. I mean, it's no, not right. This is what I'm not, saying. Like it's, uh, it's, it's, George it, Mason we, or, or UMBC. Yeah. 
I know, I know it's it's an upset on the betting line, but you ask around just the average college football fan. I don't know that they think of Ohio State as much of an underdog in any capacity. Well, but I mean, to be honest, that's because of this game. Going into this yeah. game, they did. But they just I mean, won a national championship. Not they, that no, they had before this. No, Twelve it was, years. I mean, 2002. Okay, but like again, that's <laughs> the rest of didn't. the rest of the world is saying you won a national championship twelve years ago, and now they we you expect almost, us to think of you as like the the little brother. Like we, yeah, the other teams never win national in, championships. Yeah, they almost didn't get into the playoff. Had they not beat Wisconsin the way they beat Wisconsin, they probably didn't won't get in the playoff. I'm just saying that Ohio State beating Alabama is not the same upset as if Michigan State had been or Wisconsin had been the four seed and beat Alabama. That's a different kind of upset. I think any Alabama was on such a pedestal at that point, um, and the SEC was on such a pedestal. I think almost like anybody beating the SEC was kind of a big upset. But I do think, I mean, it's hard to wrap your head around it, but um, like Ohio State, I mean, yes, they had gone 12-0, and 0, um, in Urban's first year. And yes, they had been undefeated in the Big Ten Championship game and Urban Meyer started 24-0 here. But a lot of that was always viewed as like, well, that's just beating up on the Big Ten. Like, what's the big deal? Who are, who are they beating outside of, of the Big Ten that's supposed to impress me at all? So I know what you're saying, Nathan, but I, I, I think it, it really was part of what we think of now that Ohio State can play with anybody is because of this game. And, and up until that point, I don't know that the idea of like, Ohio State can play with anybody I don't know that that was as ingrained in the psyche of the average college football fan the way it is now. Uh, Buckeye enjoyment meter. We'll get into my karma. Nathan, Buckeye enjoyment meter for this one. I mean, this is where I think it's a thousand. Like, I mean, as I said before, I mean, I don't know what more you could have wanted from any moment in Ohio State history other than when you go on and win the national championship. But to get you get on the field with Alabama, it's it's something that they're probably uh, that the fan base is probably just begging for i read something from our reporting at the time i can't remember if you wrote it or bill i think it was you about how they had been building for that moment from the time they hired urban meyer it was bring on alabama we're going to build a team that can then beat them and then they did it like this and and then the way they did it the, the moments that you have in a game like this um I, you could i i would argue a thousand might not be high enough yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, we've done the Breaking Bama series of, like, who's the team that can break Bama's stranglehold uh, on college football. It might be Ohio State with Urban Meyer and his SEC roots. Stephen, what would you have? I think this breaks the scale because it's the, it's the first college football playoff ever. Ohio State is in it. They're the underdogs, and they just beat Bama. They just beat the Big Bad, big bad South and the Big, big Bad Bama and the Big Bad SEC. This is – yeah, Nathan's right. I think this breaks the scale. I think if we had done this first and set this as the baseline of what a thousand is, we might have yeah. might have changed our Buckeye enjoyment meter scores for all the ones yeah. we've done before this. Because I think this is like the definition. This should be a thousand. This is as high as it can go. So base all of the other things. Base, you know, uh, beating Oregon in a bowl game yeah. compared to this. Like, eh. Especially I mean, when you add in the fact that you did it with your third string quarterback. I mean, yeah. it has all the components, which, which goes into the thing we talked about when we did the Wednesday podcast of could this be the best season in Ohio State history? You have to have the talent. You have to have the setting. You have to have the right opponent. And then you need that context around it, right? So it's like that this is the first college football playoff. It's Alabama. It's Urban versus Saban. It's all these first-round draft picks. And also, by the way, it's the third-string quarterback. It is like a, it's not just a thousand, it's like a thousand in every individual area. 
You know, that like what bigger setting, what more talent, what bigger coaches, what bigger stakes, what crazier storyline could you ever hope for? And then the individual plays in the game that the game, you know, one receiver throws a touchdown pass to another receiver, you know, a, a, a pick right when you feel like Ohio State's giving it away. I thousand percent agree with everything you guys said. Here's my karma point. Last year's loss to Clemson was payback for this because they're mm -hmm. the same game. Ohio State against Clemson was up 16 to nothing with 245 left in the second quarter. They had a 16-point lead before Clemson scored with 245 left in the second quarter. Alabama was up 21 to 6. They had a 15-point lead on Ohio State before Ohio State scored with 255 left in the second quarter. And then both those teams not only scored then, but scored again before the end of the half. So Ohio State blew a 16-point lead. Bama blew a 15-point lead. Both teams that, that came back had a big, tall quarterback who had unexpected runs that broke the back of the opposing defense. Um, I just, and, and Nathan, what you had sort of said, Ohio State, Against Clemson, all anybody talked about was how they didn't convert red zone opportunities into touchdowns early, right? And that killed them against Clemson. In this game, Ohio State did not convert red zone opportunities into touchdowns early, mm -hmm. and it didn't kill them. They still came back. So this completes the loop for me of Alabama and Clemson have this thing. And when I talked to Alabama writer Michael Casagrande earlier this year, I asked him sort of about like, hey, does Alabama – want to get back at Ohio state for this. And he's kind of like, eh, like Alabama's worried about Clemson. They don't, this doesn't stick in Alabama's jaw craw because Alabama's got a lot of the things going on. But this reemphasized to me of like why Alabama and Clemson have to be the path for Ohio state in this season, because these two games were so similar. And if anybody, if any Ohio state fan is thinking like, why did this happen to us? Why did this Clemson loss happen? We always have bad luck. You know, this, I can't believe this. This blew our shot at a national title. It's payback for what happened against Alabama. Because Alabama, if you, if you, if when I say I think Alabama is the better team, Ohio State had better players, if you think I'm nuts, Alabama was clearly the better team early. When Alabama was up 21 to six, they're clearly the better team then, no doubt about it. And then Ohio State gets it together. Just like clearly early on, Ohio State's dominating Clemson. Now, there's not like an official's call in this game that feels like it turned it the way that Ohio State fans feel like the refs took the Clemson game away from them. But a lot of the other give and take of an offense that looks dead, the Clemson offense looked dead early. And then Trevor Lawrence started running around. The Ohio State offense looked dead a lot of the time. And then Cardale Jones made some big conversions on third down. I was just struck. I never thought it. When it happened with Clemson last year at the time, my head did not go to this game at all. Watching this game, my head went to Ohio State Clemson again and again and again and again and again. And so it's just the, I think it's, it's the way things work. Sometimes the world's for you. Sometimes the world's against you. But – this, you got one of these, Ohio State fans. You do have one of these in your history. A game that really, man, there's a million ways this could have gotten away from you. 
And actually, I mean, if at various points, if we had had the ESPN win probability tracker and we had had Ohio State's chances of winning the, this game against Alabama versus Ohio State's winning chances of winning the Clemson game, you're right, they would have been exactly they're once converging. going. Yeah. Right. So, so in the end, it's like Bama's awesome. They can lose a game like this and they're fine. Clemson's awesome. They've lost some tough games. They, you know, they lost to Bama in a championship game. They beat Bama in a championship game. Clemson didn't get a title out of that, but Clemson's fine, right? It's one of those things. Both Alabama and Clemson are fine. They've both had good moments and bad moments on the national scene. I feel like if Ohio State fans felt like, man, we got screwed, don't forget how, how easily this other game could have gone the other way. And it felt so similar to me in rewatching that. And that stat about the 15-point lead and the 16-point lead late in the second quarter and the way both teams scored two touchdowns in the final three minutes to that's how they made it a game really was shocking to me. Nathan, what do you think? No, I, I see the parallels. And um, I, I guess I'm curious, do you feel like it's – did did Alabama let this get away? Because you, you pushed back on me. I was one of the people writing about, like, feeling like Ohio State missed opportunities early in that game that cost them later – did this game give you any different perspective on that? No, because it was like I mean, the one thing is it's not ban- right. It's the re- it's that's not exactly reverse. It's Ohio State both times who's not converting in the red zone. But um, I don't my- know if it's just the red zone opportunities. I mean that that that's the almost like the the symptom. But like the 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 illness is just not building the big enough lead when you could early and having it cost you late. Right. Um, no, I mean, I feel like I feel like nobody scores touchdowns all the time, you know. So I still don't think it. I, I still feel like it's more about um, an offense is dead and you let it wake back up, and that regardless of the stuff, it's like you just can't let Trevor Lawrence run like that, Ohio State and Alabama. You just can't let Ohio State convert third and eight, third and nine, third and ten all the time. It's like make a stop when it matters, and that's to me where that game changes. Yes. Teams are going to score touchdowns or field goals early or whatever. But when you have a team that feels like it's dead, just don't let it make big plays to wake itself up. And I think that's the thing that happened in both these games. And that's on Bama in this game. And that's on Ohio State in the Clemson game. Stephen, what do you think? And when they happen, when because big plays are going to happen. These are talented teams. You got to, you know, keep your composure and weather a little bit. I don't know if Ohio State did that against Clemson last year, and Alabama didn't really do that against Ohio State either. When they threw these haymakers, you didn't really have the best answer for it. And that's part of the problem. And that's – we don't have an answer to somebody who's going to desperately have to throw a haymaker because they're losing and it's a playoff game. you got to answer for it at some point. Alabama didn't do it early enough in that, in the game, in that third quarter in order to, to turn the tide a little bit, and Ohio State didn't really do it either. Now, some of that is – yeah, the ref's decision with the fumble call, but some of that was also just, I mean, they, they got the pass interference call, and then Trevor Lawrence backs that up with a 67-yard run, and Ohio State had no answer for it. I mean, to me, the SAT analogy is Ohio State's offense in the, in the red zone against Clemson is Alabama's defense on third down against Ohio State. I mean, again, the, in the end, a lot of this for me is like, if the idea is, well, you were ahead by 15 or 16, and the reason you lost is because you weren't ahead by 28, I, my answer is usually like 15 or 16 should have been enough. The reason you lost is because you started giving that team chances to get back in it when you were up 15 or 16. And this is not an exact comparison because the Blake Sims interception by Von Bell happened with like six minutes left and not on the last play of the game. But 
it's an intercept. It's right when Alabama is getting ready to take the lead again. Mm-hmm. And that's what you feel like in the moment it's going to happen. And they throw a pick in the end zone. Just like you felt like here comes Ohio State and Ohio State throws a pick in the end zone, right? The Justin Fields to Chris Olave play. And again, the circumstances are different, but they're both the, both teams that lost, both Alabama and Ohio State, had big leads and then late in the game had moments when it felt like, okay, now they're down, but now they're going to come back from blowing the lead. And then right at that moment, they screwed something up and they threw a pick in the end zone and like that was it. So um, I liked it. Nathan, did you like this one? Oh, it was a great game. Yeah, I, 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 this is what you hope for in a playoff game. I mean, the, the Ohio State-Clemson game was a great game, too. I mean, this is what we – this is the game that we hope we're sitting and watching in a lot of ways, regardless of the outcome as a reporter. I think you, this is what you hope you're watching in January this year, December, whenever they play the first one. Steven? Yeah, I loved it. I loved every game we picked because – especially with the ones this decade where I was competent when I was – when they were alive. Um, I forgot all the things that had happened in these games. And so I'm actually, I felt like I was watching it for a first time in a lot of times. I, I knew the big play moments, but the, the little small stuff that you forget when you, you know, haven't watched the game for a while were just interesting to bring back up. So, I mean, again, it is. It is what, you, what Ohio State fans hope this season is like. Listen, Justin Fields, you get him on a stage like this, he's going to be better than either of the quarterbacks in this game. Right. So that, that's going to be different. Um, and then they, can they get the kind of playmaking? Can they get a playmaking linebacker like Darren Lee? Can they get a playmaking DB like Von Bell? Or can they get somebody on the defensive line who's like Joey Bosa? They're not going to have Zeke. That's going to be the switch here. Justin Fields is going to be better than Cardale, but their running game is not going to be like Zeke. But could their offensive line maybe be even better than a game like this? So I just think this team, this Ohio State team actually is going to be really different than that Ohio State team. But I think the potential to have the same kind of season and the same kind of result and the same kind of unbelievable moments is certainly out there. The offensive line is going to have to be Zeke, actually. It's going to be have to, have to flip. Yeah. It's going to have to be giant holes because you yeah. can't count on these guys to get yards on their own the way Zeke did in this game. All right, that's it. Ohio State wins. They Then they go on and beat Oregon in the national championship game. So that's exciting, too, but we're not going to do that one. So we're taking a break on our talkables for a while because we got a current talkables. There's no re- it's a now talkables about the games that they're going to be playing starting next week. So we'll take a break on this, but it's going to be a group. We can do it again in the off season. I don't know if we're going to be doing, I mean, are we just stuck on five podcasts a week and for eternity now? In perpetuity. Yeah. We'll see. Because we're just so successful and interesting that people just can't get enough. They just, but honestly it. now, I mean, we've got, we know what we do on Mondays and we know what we do on Fridays. It's really just coming up with those other three. So uh, it makes it but easier even, to get through the, the off season. Well, yeah. But even then we can just talk about, what we learned when we talked to players. So it's yeah. not like we have to make up stuff for five days a week anymore. No, I'm saying in the off season, there's, there's no excuse oh, yeah. not to keep doing them because yeah. 40% of the week's done as far as ideas. Yeah. I will say for like five day a week radio show and also be a writer. It's quite a thing. Quite a thing. I don't have to worry about it. Cause you know, I don't write, but uh, quite a thing. But we like it. That was fun. So thanks to you guys for listening. Make sure you try the text at 614-350-3315. We'd like some more reviews at Apple Podcasts. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. That's our last Buckeye Retalkables for a while. For Stephen and Nathan, I'm Doug. Ohio State wins the national championship for the 2014 season by winning this one and then one more. And that was a Buckeye Retalkables. (laughs) 